back together, it feels like. Um, so we are in this series in uh, the book of Judges called Don't Judge Me. And we've been walking through the entire book of Judges um, kind of piece by piece. And, and now we're at the end, um, the last few chapters, last five chapters or so, and, and, it, and it changes. Um, and so we're gonna get into that here in just a second. But first, I, I again wanna remind you, next week, next week is Church in the Park. And so make sure that you show up there not here. It's not like you come here and then we carpool over. It's just, we just show up there and it's gonna be a blast. So uh, you, you do not wanna miss that. The service is at 9.30. So it's just one service. So everyone's gonna show up. Make sure you bring your lawn chair and it's gonna be a blast. Uh, so that's next week. I just wanna say it again. We'll probably tell you yet again, at the end of service, you'll probably get an email and some of you will still show up here next week. And so uh, you know, we, we're going to do everything we can to remind you next week we're at the park. Um, so I want to start by asking, uh, by asking kind of an odd question, but, uh, but given where, like, where we're going at this morning in this passage, this is, it, this is, it'll make sense. Um, what would your lo- life look like? And what would, what would our lives look like um, if, if we decided to redefine Christianity for yourself? If you, so let me, let me kind of elaborate. If you decided, I want to redefine and restructure kind of Christianity how I want it to be, what would happen in your life? If you said, I'm gonna just, the good stuff that I like about our faith and about the Bible, I'm gonna hold on to, and the stuff that is challenging or or that, you know, some, I, I don't necessarily like, or man, I really, I don't know if I want to, like, agree, I, I would prefer not to agree with this. All right, if you could just get rid of all of that stuff, all the stuff that's like confusing or, or, or people may misinterpret or, 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 um, or think that it's like offensive or something, like, all right, I'm gonna get rid of that. What would, listen, what would your version of Christianity be like? How would you redefine it? Now, before we, like, before you say, oh, I would never do that, hold on, hold on. Because we're gonna look at instances and examples in which we do redefine Christianity for ourselves. So this morning, we're gonna look at Judges 17 and 18. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. And it's gonna serve as a, as a cautionary tale. And it's, it's, here's what's interesting about the last five chapters of Judges. There's no more Judges. They're done. Samson was the last one. Now we move into a judge-less state of Israel. And so the judges now, for the rest of the book of Judges for this week, and then we'll take a break for Church in the Park, and then the next week we'll wrap up the book of Judges. There are no more judges. Well, how, how can that be? What are we talking about? Now we look at what Israel is like, what the society is like when there is no leader. There is no authority. There is no spiritual guidance of any kind and everyone kind of does what they want and redefines Judaism for themselves. So what we're going to look at is, is a cautionary tale about a guy named Micah and then a tribe called Dan. They will be referred to as the Danites. And, and it's the, the dangers of relying on human wisdom and redefining kind of faith and religion how you want it to be. Instead of seeking God's guidance, it illustrates this, how self-reliance can, um, can lead to a spiritual and moral compromise. 
that when, when you get rid of a standard, a, 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 an objective standard, say this is what it is, when you remove that and kind of recreate a faith, a religion, a worldview, how you want it to be, you, you, you now enter the world, the land of moral and spiritual compromise. Here's the point of what we're gonna look at in kind of the overall like theme, and then we're gonna see how this plays out. Here it is. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're gonna look at the, the, the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says this. Religion says, God, my will be done. Here's what I want. And I'm gonna use you to get what I want. And I may even do things that you want me to. This is religion. I'll do these things and I'll work to earn certain blessings or benefits for me. God, my will be done. The gospel is the opposite. The gospel is, God, your will be done. It's not about like getting blessing or thinking like I want to make sure, God, you're on my side. And if, and if I'm gonna go to battle, I wanna make sure I've got you and you're like, if, right, you, I, I want you to be my God so you can bless me and help me and change my life and, and, and make my life for the better. Whoa, 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 hold on. This is now religion. The gospel instead, the person says, God, Listen, it's not about me. Your will be done. That is a very big difference. And we'll continue to look at this throughout, like, throughout these passages and, and throughout this, this, uh, this morning. But this is, this is the key difference between religion and the gospel. Here's what we're gonna see. The verse, uh, first six verses of chapter, chapter seven, we're introduced to this guy named Micah and it's a really weird start and it's kind of like almost feels out of place and like, that's a kind of a weird detail, but, but it, it also makes sense. We're gonna see Micah worshiped a version of God that he preferred. He, he decides to worship God, not in God's image, but in his image. I'm gonna decide how I worship you. Micah worshiped a version of God he preferred. And, and what we'll see is that we, you and I, can often worship God how we want him to be. Not necessarily for always who he is or what he does, but instead what we prefer him to be like, what we want him to do. So let's read. Chapter 17 starts in verse one. Here it, here it goes. Now we just finished Samson. Samson was, was the, if you remember last week, the whole pillars and he brings the house down, right? And then it's like this battle between Yahweh and Dagon. And then it says, and, and, uh, and Samson was able to kill more um, Philistines in his death than when he was alive. And then it says that he, he ruled for 20 years. All right, very next chapter, very next verse. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, okay, that's a weird, like, all right, so it's just a, a son and mother having a conversation. A man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you about which I heard you utter a curse. Sometimes, sometimes kids hear their parents curse, apparently. <laughs> I heard you utter a curse about the person who stole the 1,100 shekels. I have that silver with me. I took it. Chapter 17 begins with a confession. It moved from Samson, this, this like incredible fight and this battle scene that they, they, they make movies about to now a guy going to his mom, mom, I took the money, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry that the, I'm the person you were cursing. 
And, and his mother responds just like you and I would. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. <laughs> what? Okay, I don't, like, I don't know how you parent your kids. If you have kids, I don't even want to judge you, right? The series, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. But if your kid comes and says, hey, you know all that money that was stolen, that, that, I, that you, like a large sum of money, the thousands of dollars that were stolen, that you were like, who would do this to us? It was me. I'm, I took it. I'm sorry. Lord bless you, my child. Like, oh, I'm so, may God, may God bless you. I'm so thankful and happy and, oh, wonderful. What? Clearly, clearly there's a little bit of kind of weird family dysfunction that is going on and like this, like not a typical, like normal mom response you would expect. And it, and it goes on. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, it's a large sum of money, he gives it back. She said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son. The one who stole it, now I'm gonna like bless. For my son, here's what I want you to do. To make an image overlaid, an, an idol overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. She makes, she makes an oath. I'm Lord. The money's given back. All right, I'm gonna give all this money to you, Lord, I'm going to dedicate it to you and I'm going to give it to my son to go make an idol. Wow, mom, killing it. You are doing a, uh, that is a wonderful response of a godly mother to now create an idol because her son stole the money and gave it back. All right. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels. Hold on, wait a minute. She said she was giving 1,100 shekels. She made this oath. She probably realized Wow, that's a lot of shekels. How about I just do 200? <laughs> she can't even, like the oath that she gave, she can't, even, she can't even uphold. She took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith who used them to make the idol. And it was put in Micah's house. All right, so this money he stole and gives back, she dedicates to the Lord, gives 200 of it, makes an idol and says, Micah, you're such a good child of mine. You take this idol. This is for you. Put it in your home. All right, that's the setting. Uh, that's the opening. Now, this man, Micah, had a shrine. And he made an ephod, that's an important detail, and some household gods and installed one of his own sons as his priest. All right, we see what's going on here? It's not about, like, stealing money. It's not about even setting up an idol. What Micah is doing is creating a new way a new version of his faith of Judaism in which he will worship God how he decides. He makes it up. So he creates, uh, he, it says he made an ephod. An ephod, I think Gideon was also one who made an ephod. He was guilty of the same thing. An ephod was a, um, a breastplate worn by the priest and the Levites of God's like tabernacle and temple. Eventually will be the temple. And, and this is a very specific garment. It's not like one that you just have in your closet. It's only for the priests. And it had 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. And, 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 and so like only, only priests would have this. So for you to make one, here's what you're saying. I am now, I am now the authority of who decides what God says and does. I'm the authority now. If you wanna go to God, it's going through me, the priest. This ephod is a very important article of clothing. It's not something, it's not something that you just, you know, like, like any of you like to knit or crochet. You don't just be like, you know what I'm gonna make today? I'm gonna make a beautiful ephod. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't, it's not like a sweater you just make. 
So he decides, I'm gonna make one because I am going to become the spiritual authority for myself. I'll decide. I will. And then he sets up his own priesthood. He creates this household of gods and idols and he brings it into his home and he sets up this kind of new version of religion for himself and he installed one of his own sons as a priest. All right, I need some people, I need some people to, to, uh, to represent like kind of like, like how, how I'm gonna do, how we're gonna, you know, how we're gonna interact and, and encounter and experience God. All right, all right, who's around like me a priest? Oh, son, you, get over here. <laughs> like, you, I'm gonna make my priest. And he's, you know, we don't know how old he is at this point, but he's like, yes, dad, sure. And here's, and then we're given this detail. This is why this is important. We're gonna see this show up a few times in this passage. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. This is the point. There was no leader. There was no king. And everyone did what they wanted to do. And this, so what we see, Micah and then also the Danites is a cross-section of Israel at this time where, where everyone was doing this. Everyone was doing their own thing. Because there was no king. There was no spiritual leader or authority. There was no one in charge. Everyone did as they saw fit. Micah's story begins with the construction of a, of a, a shrine, a personal shrine and idols and and. And he's drawn by the allure of crafting his own version of spirituality, his own religion, his own version of his faith. Notice that even the idols that they make, they dedicate to the Lord, to Yahweh, and they create an idol of him. This isn't even other gods. They're they're creating an idol and a system to worship Yahweh, their God. But but they're doing it not how God said and decided and, and decreed it should be done. They were doing it in their own in their own way, creating God in their own image. And wouldn't, wouldn't you know it, this is exactly what culture does today. They redefines their version or their understanding of God or interaction with God how they want. When I say they, I mean collectively, they. Maybe even some of we, maybe even us are included in this. Let me give you some examples. Um, first, you, maybe you've heard people say this. I've heard this countless times. And in, you know, as soon as I hear this, I'm like, okay, I got it. I know exactly kind of like this person's thinking. They'll say this. Well, I'm not, I'm more of a spiritual person. I'm not a religious one. I'm a spiritual person. I don't follow any one religion. Here's the translation, ready? I know better than collectively all of the religions of the entire world. And I decide how I relate with God and and who he is. People do this all the time and recreate, redefine who God is, how they want him. And and then what they do is they decide, they decide who and how to worship him, whatever that may be. What let me give you an example. And and I and I I'm I'm probably gonna step on a few toes and you know, so be it. You shouldn't have your toes here. I'm gonna Here's an example, ready? Here's an example, because you and I can be guilty of this as well. As much as you want to say the they out there, here's what we do, ready? We'll say things like this. Well, I, I, don't, I don't really, like I'm not really a good reader, so I don't really read the scriptures. But you know where I, like, where I find God, where I worship God the most is out in nature. My God is out in nature. That's how I experience communion with God. Now, at face value, it sounds nice. And, and, and I don't, 
I want to be careful because I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't experience God in nature. Romans 1 makes it clear that God is in nature and, and his divine attributes can clearly be seen by what he's made. Absolutely, we can be. But if you say this, to the exclusion of reading his word, I'm going to go out in nature and experience and meet God, you have redefined how you interact with God in a way that he says, that is not how I set this up. I didn't give you my word so that you won't read it. Okay, now, you ready for more toes? All right, so maybe I stepped on some of your toes. I apologize, but not really. Let me step on some more of your toes, okay? Here's another way we do this. We, we can easily create or recreate Christianity in a, in a version that we want. So we'll do this. The things in Christianity we like, we'll keep, and the things we don't like, or the things that, that this is the big one, that other people, that we think other people might find offensive, we can, we can kind of push aside and say, I don't really like that part of what Jesus said or this section of the Bible. I'm not really, I don't really agree with that. My version of, my understanding of Christianity is all of the stuff I like and none of the stuff I don't like. Do you know what you just did? You just put on an ephod and said, I'm deciding who God is, what he's like, and how to worship him. I, I know better. I know better than this. Ooh, whoa. When we start picking and choosing which doctrines we like and which we don't, we now become an authority over God himself. Ooh, you see how we could do this? You see how easy this would be? I, I mean, you, you, can, you can go on you know, Amazon and look at countless books of people who do this who redefine Christianity by either neglecting certain doctrines or, or changing the importance or like moving things around or, 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 or filtering like Christianity through, through whatever the cultural lens is today, whether it be kind of, and then we'll call it like progressive or woke. And, and like all of a sudden now, the church has to kind of filter everything, everything we do through the lens of culture. And, and, and what you've just decided is, hey, listen, listen, this is kind of old. It's, you know, thousands of years old. It needs a little bit of an update and I'll be the one to do it. Whoa, 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 careful. Careful what you're saying. That this needs an update. Oof. This happens, this, this happens all the time and it happens with, with, with people all over. Christians and non-Christians where we recreate God in the image that we want him to be. This is what Micah is doing. He's deciding his own version of spirituality. Here's the next part now, the second half of chapter 17. Micah, we see Micah wants a spiritual blessing without obedience. Oof, okay, here come more toes. We, you and I, we want God to bless us and we wanna live how we want. God, I want you to bless me in my life, but also I'm gonna do whatever I want anyways. I'm gonna live how I want and I'm gonna ask you to bless me regardless of obedience, whether I'm actually obeying your word or not, I'm just gonna, I just wanna live my life and I want you to be happy with me and, and bless me. Verse seven, it says this, a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. Now these locations are important. Uh, Bethlehem is, uh, you guys know Bethlehem, right? Right, a oh, little town of Bethlehem. Uh, it's by the way, Christmas is just around the corner. I think right? our, our stuff, Christmas stuff's going to the stores now, right? Another example of like culture just going to hell quick. 
It's all about, right? Uh, was that too far? Did I, okay, maybe. <laughs> a young Levite from Bethlehem, who's going to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem, in Judah. Now, listen, these, like, we read this and we're like, all right, uh, these are just names on a paper. Judah at this point is kind of the spiritual epicenter of, Jerusalem, of, uh, of Israel. Judah, Judah is also um, one, of the, one of the more, uh, if, like throughout history, the important tribes. Judah is the tribe that Jesus comes from. Jesus finds his lineage, traces it back to Judah and clearly, and Bethlehem, right? This, so, so he, this Levite is in Bethlehem, which isn't a huge city. And even at this point, point isn't super important, but he's in Judah. And it says this, who have been living with the clan of Judah. He's a part of Judah. And, and they're like a good one. All right, good clan, like, wonderful. You're, you're, you're like spiritually, you're doing well. You're in the right spot. He decides this verse eight. He left that town in search of some other place to stay. He leaves Judah. Why? Just because he wants to try something new. Just because he wants out. He wants a new place. Who knows what else is out there? Grass might be greener. He left that town in search for some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. All right, so the same Micah that kind of is building, kind of recreating a new version of Judaism for himself, Micah shows up and says this. Micah asked him, where are you from? And this Levite, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah, in, in ever an opportunist, said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year your clothes, and your food. Listen, I'll pay for all of it. I'll pay your wages. You come be my Levite. Be my priest and the father for me and my household. And, and like what's not in there, but what easily could be is I've had my son do it and he's not doing a good job. I need a real priest and you're a real priest. So would you come be my priest? It says this, verse 11. So the Levite agreed to live with him and the young man became like one of his sons to him. All right, so he says, all right, I'll do it. Here's what we learned, ready? And this is an important detail for later. That this Levite is a priest for hire. He's not doing this out of service to God. In fact, he just left where he probably should have stayed. And he's saying, where else can I go? And, and he meets Micah and he says, hey, I'll pay you. And he says, oh, that sounds like a great job opportunity. I'll be, I'll be your priest because you're gonna take care of me. You'll pay for me. So, uh, verse 13, and Micah said, now I, and this is, this is interesting, uh, verse 12, then Micah installed the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in his house, 13. And Micah said, here's how we know that like the, the motives behind like, what Micah's doing. Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Here's what he wants. He wants God's blessing. Now I know God will be good to me. God will take care of me because finally I got a priest. I got one of my own. He doesn't want obedience. Here's what obedience looks like. Obedience is you worship God how he set it up. And at this point in Israel's history, God set up worship at what's called the tabernacle. Tabernacle was this, um, it was a place that would uh, continually move. So they'd set up and tear down uh, almost daily at some points. And it was this like tent structure, but it was more important than just like the actual structure. It was a precursor for what would eventually be the temple. This was the place where God's presence was. 
what's often referred to as the Shekinah glory. It's like a, a, a pillar or a cloud. And wherever, wherever that was, that was the presence of God. Now, now, we know God is everywhere, right? God is omnipresent. But he manifests his presence in certain instances, certain times, certain spots. And this was one of them, at the tabernacle. And he says, this is where you come and you offer sacrifices. And it's led by my priests out of the tribe of Levite. They're the ones in charge. The guys wearing the ephod, they're in charge. This is a very specific way in which you worship God, in which you worship me, and it's about obedience to me. And he says, I'll do it myself. I want the blessing, but I don't want obedience. I don't want to travel all the way to the tabernacle. Do you know how far that is? I'll just set up my own version right here for myself. God, I want you to bless me, but I don't want to do what you've asked me to. Now, we've, we've said this before. Religion, the purpose of religion is to get God to serve you. God, my will be done. And, and here's the thing. That's the purpose of every religion, by the way. Every religion, not, not Judaism, you know, during the time of the judges. Every religion is an attempt to get God to do something for you, to earn favor of some kind. And every religion has different rules and different, different stipulations, different, different, uh, uh, different structures on how you do this, whether it be five pillars or whether it be certain, certain holy books that you have to read or certain, uh, they, like tithe a certain amount or whatever it may be. They have all of these things. You have to do all this stuff. And if you do all this stuff, then God will bless you. All right. So you do it not out of service or obedience to God. You do it because that's how you earn his favor. Now, with the gospel... It's completely different. Every religion says, I want, God, I want you to do this for me. The gospel says, I, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And the gospel, the point of the gospel, the purpose is to get your heart to serve him. Not out of what you can get, not because you want something from him, but simply, all right, I owe it to you. The gospel is about giving ourselves over to him, whereas religion is about getting something from him. That's what, that's what Micah's doing, and listen, that's what we do. Okay, I'm, I'm, I don't wanna ask you, I don't wanna make you feel bad, so I'm not gonna ask you, when was the last time you read your Bible? But when was the last time you read your Bible? <laughs> when was the last time? I mean, think back, what day was it? Can you think back to last week? What was the last day you read your Bible? Okay, all right, it's quiet, all right. Maybe the week before that, did you read your Bible? All right, if, you, if I went to your house and said, all right, show me your Bible, would I have to do this? <laughs> when we say like, we want God's blessing, we all want God's blessing, of course, right? You don't want us curse. You want, you want God to bless you or curse you? <laughs> Easy answer. All right. Do you want to obey God? Well, well, sure, I'll obey him in anything he asks. All right, what has he asked? I don't know. Did you, what was the last thing you read? What was the last Bible passage you read? I don't know. Pastor, what did you read last week? <laughs> Listen, you and I, we want God to bless us, but when it comes to obedience, here's what he says. He says, all right, I want you, I've given you my word. This is the key. This is the key to everything. You wanna know me? Here it is. I wrote it all down for you. And we, we can say this. Again, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm stepping on a lot of toes right now. I get it. We say, is this God's word? 
Do you believe this is God's word? Most of us, if not all of us, will say, yeah, absolutely. All right, so God wrote this. All right. Do you think that this, do you think that this, that these words has the power to transform and change a person? Yeah. All right, good. I agree. Do you think it has the power to change you? Yeah. I think, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been included. All right. All right. Why don't you read them? Why don't you read them then? Do you really think that this has the power to change your life? And if you say yes, but you don't read it, then the answer is no. You don't. You don't really think it will change you because if you did, you'd be like in it all the time. I can't get enough of it. All right, I know life's busy and, and usually what we say is like, oh, but I got so many other things or, or we say this, I'm not really a reader. Yeah, but what if reading this will change you? It will change your life. It will like, God will use it to speak to you. Like God will speak to you through this. Is that not a good enough reason to read a book? I'm not saying read every book, just read one. Just read one book. Is this not enough? We say, yeah, that's, I think that's what obedience looks like, but we don't want this. What we want is to say, God bless me, and then we go and we live our life and we do something that might even be contrary to what this says. And often it's contrary to what this says because we don't know what this says. We don't even know if what we're doing is contrary to what God wants. We, we just rely on what other people tell us, what God wants or what he doesn't want. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, I'm going to do this thing because I believe God wants me to do it. And, and here's why I believe God wants me to do this. God wants me to be happy. Oh, he does, does he? That's the key, like, just real quick, real quick. Just what verse was that? What verse says God wants you, above all, he wants you to be happy? And we say, like, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm not happy in this relationship. I'm gonna leave my spouse and I'm gonna go be with this person because God wants me to be happy. You know what you just did? You just redefined Christianity. You just reworked it and redefined it to meet what you want. I want God to bless me, but I also want to do my own thing. Apart from obedience, apart from what he wants. Ooh. Ooh. We, just like Micah, we want the spiritual blessing, but not necessarily the work of actually obeying and serving. All right. That's Micah's story. Now, it moves to chapter 18, and it move, we move on out to a different group, uh, now the Danites. And the Danites are going to have an interaction with Micah. So there's a crossover. There's a reason we get introduced to Micah and his story, and now we move on to the Danites, the tribe of Dan. The Danites, what do you know? They want to create their version of Judaism. They want to do the same thing. They're just like Micah because everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and everyone's wanting to do this. Everyone in this time of Israel is wanting to recreate kind of their own version of their religion. What do you know? You and I, we can try to create our own version of Christianity. One that we, which we agree with all of the things we like and we disagree with the things we don't. And we get, find other people to do the same. And they write books about it. And we say, see, see this book gets it right. A new revelation, a new insight, a new secret into the gospel. That was, no one's ever seen this before. But thankfully, in 2023, you have been blessed with my book that you can buy, right? And for a nominal fee, I will tell you the secret to this. Oh, give me a break. Give me a break. We try to create our own version of Christianity. Here's what it says in verse 
chapter 18, verse one. In those days, it says it again, Israel had no king. Hey, remember, just remember, Israel had no king. Everyone's wanting to do what they, as they see fit. And in those days, the tribe of, of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Now they were given a specific land, but they didn't like it and they didn't want it. They want a new land. So this was a, uh, this was a nomadic tribe and they would move around kind of based on you know, wherever the food is. So they decide they would send out five men to scout the land, explore it, and, and report back. All right, we need to find some land. So you send out five. There's five. They're going to send out five. And they say, go report back what you find. So these five, they leave. They, and these five, they entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah where they spent the night. When they were there, when they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They're like, hey, we know that guy. Do you hear that? I know that voice. So they turned in there and asked him, who brought you here and what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? They're like, hey, bud, what's up? You remember us? Like, oh, we know who you are. What are you doing here? You're supposed to be in Judah, but what are you doing here? And then it says, verse four, he told them what Micah had done for him and said, he has hired me and I am his priest. There it is, ready? He's a priest, literally. He says, I'm a priest for hire. He hired me. And here's what they just heard. Oh, this guy is for sale. This guy's for sale. Right now, the going wage is whatever Micah paid him. That's the going rate. All right. So he has hired me and I am his priest. Verse five. Then they said to him, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. Now, this is a fake priest in a fake religious uh, system and he gives a fake approval of the Lord. And the reason we know this is fake is because for the rest of the, this story and the rest of their history, they, are engage, they engage in idol worship and all, we'll look at here how this plays out. But, but one of the things that this tells us is, is specifically the tribe of Dan was, uh, was not so great. In fact, they become replaced as one of the 12, one of the 12 tribes. When you get to Revelation, you read about the, uh, the 144,000 and 12,000 from every tribe and, 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 and God lists out all of the tribes. Guess who's not on that list? It's this tribe. Probably because they'd fallen so far and they got into idolatry and it starts, this is where it starts. And it starts generation after generation of leading people away from God because they redefined their faith for themselves. And then their kids and those kids' kids and then their kids' 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 kids and their kids' kids. Oh, they all get further away from the Lord because they remove this, the standard by which they would worship. So he's, uh, he gives them approval, the Lord's approval, though we know through history tells us God certainly did not approve of this. So they find out he's a priest for hire and they go back and they report what they find. They go back and they say, listen, we found this place and this land and it's beautiful and it's perfect. And they say this, and they're a peaceful people and they don't have relationships with anyone around them. Here's the translation. They don't have any allies. We can take them easy, easy. If we, if we attack these people, they have no friends to help. So it says this. They answered, verse nine, come on. Let's attack them. We've seen the land and it is very good. Guys, we found this place. Let's go. Verse 11, then, uh, then 600 men of the Danites armed for battle set out for Zorah and Eshtaol. They gather an army. They're like, all right, let's go. Get 600, 600 of the men. Let's go. We're going to battle. We're taking over this land, 
right? We're going to defeat these other, like these, these other peaceful people and take their land. Then the five men who had spied out the land of Laish said to the fellow Danites, do you not know? Do you not know that one of the houses has an ephod, some household gods, and an image overlaid with silver? Hey, don't you, listen, you don't know this, but listen, I'll tell you, don't you know, like, we, have, we found a guy, he has an ephod, like the priest, like the priest would wear, he has one. And he has some other household gods, and he's got, he's got this image, this idol, like, with silver, like, it's really expensive, really nice. And then he says this, now you know what to do. Here's what they're saying, ready? You think what I'm thinking? I'm, I think so. Are we thinking, are we thinking we're, gonna, we're gonna, what I'm thinking? Yeah, let's steal them. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, now you know what to do, right? We got this stuff. We're setting up a new place. We're setting up a new land for ourselves. We're gonna set up a new religion. We're gonna have all the, all the stuff, like everything our own, and we need what he has. So now you know what to do. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. All right, greetings. Remember us? Yeah. The 600 Danites, armed for battle, stood at the entrance of the gate. Okay, this is now intimidation factor, right? 600, like it's just this Levite. He's just there like, hey guys, remember me? Yeah, oh yeah, we remember, yeah, remember we had that, yeah, we, yeah, we remember when you had that sleepover? Yeah, you guys, it was super fun. And, and now all the friends are there and there's 600 men armed for battle, ready to go, right? The equivalent would be like 600 Marines showing up right now in all their gear and be like, hey, we have some demands. Like, oh, whatever you want, right? What, okay, whatever you want, whatever you need. So they show up, and it says this. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance of the gate. So the Levite comes out, greets them, and he's like, hey guys, what are you doing here? And the five go in, they steal all of the stuff, and then they come out. And then it says this. The Levite literally says, what are you guys doing? He's confused, right? He thinks they're all buds. They're friends. Like, what are you guys doing? Why would, you, why would you do this? Why would you steal all these things? Why are you taking these? And here's their answer. Verse 19, they answered him, be quiet. Don't say a word. And then they say this, come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priest rather than just one man's household? Hey, that's a compelling argument, all right? What are you paying? In fact, actually, it doesn't matter what you're paying. He says, I'm in. Look what it says. The priest was very pleased. This is the guy who's been serving Micah, and now they just came and ransacked his house, stole his stuff, and they say, hey, don't talk to him. You keep your mouth shut, and you come with us. You come serve us. Do you know why he's very pleased? He just got a promotion, an easy promotion. He was the priest of one guy. Now he's gonna be the priest of an entire tribe an entire clan. Like he's gonna be the religious leader now for an entire people group. Ooh, I like how that sounds. You know, hey, sorry, Micah. These guys had a better offer. So he's a priest for hire. I'll go with them. He was very pleased. He took the ephod, the household gods and the idol and went along with the people. So he takes off. As they go off, Micah comes home. He realizes what's gone on and they stole it. And he gets a, a group of people. He gets kind of his group, his posse, and they charge after him. They're like, we got to go get him. So they chase him down. says they find, they come up to him and then they have this shouting match. And, and it says this, verse 23. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, this is so funny. This interaction is like, it's, it's, it's comical. What's the matter with you? 
that you called out your men to fight. These are the Danites saying to Micah. Micah brings his guys out and they're like, all right, we, you can't steal from me. And they turn around and they go, what's wrong with you? Why'd you bring your guys out to fight? <laughs> and he's like, and he says this. He replied, you took the gods I made, you took my priest and you went away. What else do I have? You took my stuff. How can you say, what's the matter with you? This conversation happens in my house with my kids all the time. Someone starts a fight and they're like, why are you doing that? What's your problem? You know what my problem is? You stole that from me. I didn't steal that from you. I earned that. That's mine. No, that's my choice. It's like, what is going on right now? You guys, are you kidding me right now? And that's the whole thing. It's like, why are you, why are you mad? Bro, why are you mad? You stole my stuff. Why, what do you mean you're asking why am I mad? That's what's going on here. And then it says this. The Danites answered, don't argue with us or some of the men may get angry and attack you and you and your family will lose your lives. Here's where they go. Right now they're gonna bully Micah. Hey, listen, don't argue right now. You're gonna upset some of these guys and we'll kill you. We'll kill you. This is usually how it goes in my house too. This is how it ends. The, someone threatens that and then it's, you know, go to your rooms and read Judges 18. <laughs> so they, they threaten their lives. They threaten their lives. We'll kill you. We will literally, you and your family, we will, we will end your lives. So the Danites went their way and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. They have a shouting match and Micah's bullied into submission and he goes back home and we don't hear from him again. He realizes he's lost because it's just eat or be eaten, right? The, the survival of the fittest and, and they have the, the strength and they have the numbers and they've now got his priest. They've now kind of taken over his version of, of spiritual, uh, spiritual authority and, and they're now gonna create their own. All right, so it says this. They took what Micah had made and his priest and went to Laish. This is the, now the, 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 the land where they want to take over. They want to rule. This is a, a peaceful people and they want to take them over. They went, went to Laish against a people at peace and secure. They're at peace. And they attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. Terrible. Because, here's why, ready? They really like their land. They like their stuff hey, your stuff's better than ours. We're just gonna take it. And there's no king. Everyone does what they want. And so they just go and do it. And they, and they, they take over the city. They burn it down. And then it says that the Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their ancestor Dan, who was born in Israel, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol and now we get some insight into like what happens next and, and who this Levite is. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the time of the, of the captivity of the land. Here's what this means, ready? This Levite, this priest, is not just a guy. He's a descendant of Moses himself. This guy traces his lineage. He's a son of Moses, so to speak. And so he traces his lineage all the way up to Moses, the guy who got the law, who set up how to do proper worship and the tabernacle and the like, all right, he's the guy who set all of it up. And now his kids, 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 we don't know exactly where in the, like the, the genealogy he shows up. All right, this guy goes sideways, leaves his post and he becomes a, a Levite for hire. Ooh, this guy should know better. This guy, Jonathan, should know better. Son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons, Jonathan, his sons, become the priests of Dan. And not just for a little while now. He sets up a priesthood, his own priesthood, 
a, a, a fake priesthood, so to speak, not the real priesthood that God set up, his own version, and, he, and they become the priests of Dan for hundreds of years until the time where the, of the captivity where, where, uh, where Israel is conquered and, and, uh, and taken into and captivity by the Syrians, that, like the time of Daniel. Like, we're talking hundreds of years later. These guys set up their own priesthood for this tribe of Dan. And then it says this. They continued to use the idol Micah had made. And it says this, and this gives us insight as to, as to how we know that they're doing this apart from what God wanted. All the time, the house of God was in Shiloh. Throughout all this time, listen, they're, they're setting all this stuff up and this entire time, you know where God really was? He's in Shiloh. He's not blessing them and what they're doing. He, he's where he set it up. You can go to Shiloh where the, where the tabernacle was. You can go there. In fact, here's a picture of it. I went there a number of years ago. And you can stand in the spot where the tabernacle was. And this was the, you know, before the temple, this was the spot. This was the spot where God would show up and where he was and like where they would come and worship. Like this was it. This was the land. It's not great to look at. It's just kind of all, you know, it's all desert and, and, uh, and uh, not really lush in this area of Israel. And then you can go to the exact spot. And you say, this is the spot where where the tabernacle was set up where God's presence was. And here, that's me standing in the spot. It's just land, but it's, it's kind of odd. It's kind of, it's, it's sobering and a little, it's weird being there thinking this was the spot where for, for countless people, they came to worship God and this is where he was. This was the spot where God's glory, God is, where God's presence was. And this is where you would have gone. This is Shiloh. This is the spot where you should have gone to go worship God, but they, they decided to redefine how they interact with God on their own. These, these Danites did what Micah did on a larger scale and built for themselves their own version of their faith, of Judaism. God has made it possible for people to approach him, and he always has. They had, a, they had an option. They had an avenue to worship God through the tabernacle. And you and I, guess what, ready? You and I have the same avenue to worship God, also through the tabernacle. What we see in John chapter one is that this tabernacle is not a place. It's not a building. It's not a tent. This tabernacle is a person. This tabernacle is, a, is, is what John calls the word. And in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and, and is translated in English and he dwelt among us. The literal, like, what you can, like, the literal sense of the word where you can interpret this is he tabernacled among us. That's the sense of the word, that he set up a tent and dwelled in this tabernacle among us. That you and I, you and I still worship God through a tabernacle, but it's no longer a place. It is a person. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So there it is. There's the door. This is the door we go through. It's only through Jesus and, and no other way. Like there's countless other religions. And he says, I, I know, I know there are other ways that, that you can like worship other deities, but I'm telling you, if you want to get to God, the only true living God, it's through me. You and I, listen, you and I don't get to rewrite how we worship God. We don't get to redefine it for our own preference to say, well, well I want to worship God this way, or I, I like these things that Jesus said, but not these things, or I just don't think that, that you know, when the Bible says this, that it's really, it's really accurate or true. You, we don't get to, you don't have the authority to redefine how God has set up our worship of him. You don't have that right. Micah didn't, nor did the, the tribe of Dan. 
to decide what version of, of, of their faith, what version of Christianity we decide to worship, to serve, to believe. You and I, we worship the God of the Bible. We worship the faith, our faith in Jesus, the, the faith that he set up, that he, that he is the door and the only door. You and I, we, we don't, if we don't center our lives on Jesus as the way to approach and worship and know and, and live with God, then, then anything else, you center your life on anything else, it is a, a man-made version, a knockoff of the real, authentic way to experience God through Jesus. That's it. Anything else, anything else is a man-made religion. It's an idol it's something that cannot bless. Religion says, God, my will be done. The gospel says, God, your will be done. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? We're gonna worship the Lord together. I'm gonna pray for us. Before we do though, um, you know, we, we uh, time like this and you're, it's easy to think, okay, so now what? So what's next? All right. How do I, how do I grow in my faith? How do I, 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 I went through the door, I'm in on Jesus. All right, I wanna know more and grow more in my faith. In a few weeks, we're gonna start a new series. And, and this is different maybe than any other series we've done. Not because it's, you know, like the other series are bad. They're all phenomenal and great, right? It's wonderful. <laughs> but this is different because this is going to be a paradigm shift for our church. It's gonna be a vision shift of what we focus on. What we're gonna be talking about starting in just a couple weeks here, after we finish our, our series in Judges, we're gonna be talking specifically about what the Bible calls discipleship, which is becoming more like Jesus and becoming more like our rabbi and following him. What does it mean to be a disciple and to become more of a disciple, a better disciple, to grow in our faith? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a buzzword that the church uses, but it's kind of hard to define or nail down. Starting in a few weeks, I, I, I want to be careful not to, not to overpromise and underdeliver. I, I want to underpromise and overdeliver. And so in a few weeks, we are starting, it's not just a series, but really is a shift for our church to say, we're going to, to refocus on what really, honestly, what we're called to do, and that's discipleship. And it will be a specific like path. You will, it'll make sense. You'll know your next step, whatever it is. You'll be ready to say, I'm ready to grow in my faith. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, you will know the next thing, the next step for you to take. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. And at least maybe over the next few weeks, get excited for this. Um, so, so the end of this sermon isn't like a go and do something. It's a, all right, as a church, we're going to shift what we focus on. And I'm looking forward to it. And I know that's a total teaser and you don't know anything yet, but I'm excited for when we release this. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank, you for, we thank you for the word. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us. We thank you that, um, that we can know you. That Jesus, you are, you are literally the gate, the door, the way, the truth, and the life. And we want to be a people who aren't seeking your blessing, but rather your will. It's not about what you can do for us, but rather how we can continue to submit and serve you. We worship you now, in Jesus' name. Amen.